She, you know, she snaps those fingers really well, doesn't she? I'll tell you what, that is her lovely husband right up here. He's like, yes, I know that snap all too well. <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, I feel you, I see you, like I see you, like, yes? And it's, oh, it's on the video, it's, <laughs> it's echoing. We have it amplified in here. There it is. <laughs> hey, it's good to see everyone. I'm glad you're here. And uh, man, wasn't worship just powerful today? They are just, I'll tell you what, God is so blessed in this house by that worship. And that, that's, that's why he shows up. And then he gets to change our hearts and it all just works out. It's all reciprocated. So uh, we get blessed by that. Well, we, uh, as you know, we, we finished our series, previous series. And we moved into uh, Reconnect series. And last week we were talking about reconnecting with your spouse. Did uh, anything happen well for you this week? Did it work out for you? <laughs> were there fights? Did I cause any fights? I hope not. Uh, hopefully I caused, caused a lot of connectivity and people coming together and filling in gaps. So uh, that was the goal, uh, you know, and if you didn't get to hear it, go back, listen to it on you, uh, YouTube, and you'll be able to, over Facebook, and you'll be able to hear those points. And you can also pull the notes from week to week, as Cassandra said, from our version connection. So uh, we're talking this week about reconnect, but it's reconnecting with kids, with the next generation. And so don't check out because you think, well, I don't have kids. Uh, no, we're in the body of Christ, and we are in the kingdom of God, and we all have a place and a responsibility to steward well the next generation, whether they are our kids by genetics or not, or stepkids, whatever the case may be. I, I uh, recently, my wife last year, probably, six, probably 18 months ago, brought, bought me the 23andMe kit so I could put my DNA in there and send it off and get all the feedback back. And it literally took me about 17 of those months to decide if I wanted to do it or not. Not because I was afraid of alimony and things. Well, no, listen, guys, you guys are terrible. I knew where you were going with that. Because, because I, was, I was a little like, I don't know much about my background. I really don't. And so there was this intrepidation. I don't know much about my dad's side of the family and, and a little bit about my mother's side of the family and of more for sure and so really a lot of unique and interesting things popped up for me but in in the body of christ we have a responsibility because we share the same dna of christ and blood the blood of jesus that's washing and blood and flowing through all of our veins we have a huge family tree and therefore we also have a huge place of influence and responsibility to steward the next generation this generation, the next generation. So it is our responsibility. I want to give you, an, give you an example. Scripture says clearly that all the children of the community, wherever Jesus would go, they just love to run to him. And I, and I really think he would, he would do little, little silly faces and probably had pockets full of that day's candy. You know, whatever it was. Maybe it was but he didn't say, you're not my child. I can't. Please go away. No, he welcomed, welcomed them all in. He set an example for us to, to make sure we're stewarding well the children of the kingdom of the next generation, stewarding the next generation well towards his kingdom. And that's what we have to remember. It's, it's about his kingdom. It's about God's glory. It's about leading people, leading little ones, leading other, other people to Christ. And that's our responsibility, and we do that in many, many ways. And so I wanted to give you some, some statistics today. Uh, so if you're a nerd there, you're really going to like it. But if you're like, oh my gosh, could take me out of my misery, just hang on. Just grab the seat in front of you and open your eyes really big. Because <laughs> I want to tell you about Generation Z, and I hate to, hate to burst your, uh, your bubble, baby boomers, 
You got actually passed by the millennials as the largest population, and Gen Z passed the millennials and yourselves. And so there, there are a huge amount of millennials popping up, Gen Z's popping up. From 1995 to 2015, they were born. Now they're about 8 to 28 years old, and, and they're starting to take over. They are literally 2 plus a billion people in the world that are Gen Z. They make up that many people, 1.3 every 1.3, one out, right, one out of every 3.8 children, people are Gen Zers. That's insane. That's 28% of the world are these young people who are just getting ready to take over. So what that means is the world and its thought processes is getting younger. But it also needs life and encouragement from the older generations. And I'm not a Gen Zer. I know I look like it. <laughs> and our worship leader as well, my worship pastor. I'm not a millennial. My wife is. I'm a Gen X. I'm not a baby boomer either. Hey, uh, but I'm a Gen X. So there is a lot of life that is taking over and is going to be very young in its approach to life. So it needs life being spoken back into it of wisdom of kingdom maturity to help shape how they're going to make those young processing decisions. Are you with me? Not yet. You will be. But according to Barna, two out of every three Gen Zers are, are, are intentionally going to leave the church. Like, they've had enough of it. It's just not, it's not what it should be. It's not authentic to them. 58% identify as Christians and twice as likely, twice as many are likely to identify as atheists. And what I, what I, what I love, to, I find about, and I found very interesting about atheists and agnostics, the, rea the reality is that they love to see whenever there's an authentic Christian believer walking out a real faith-filled life. Sadly, they don't have enough of that influence in their lives to convince them otherwise. And, you, and you, you can talk with them and, and conversate with them and you can, you can show them and they'll even talk about their studies. But the reality is because of what scripture says that until they receive Christ, their eyes, there's a veil over their eyes and their heart from even receiving and knowing what the word says. And so they need our influence of a real relationship with Christ to give them evidence as to why they should make that decision towards Christ. And it's our example being lived out in front of them and our love being, uh, being fed towards them that is actually going to break the bondage of the chain, chain so that they will even open their, open their hearts to be able to receive Christ. Because they want to know about him, but they don't know him. And in fact, you can't really know about God. You can't even know uh, the truths about God until you actually know Christ. And so we're, our whole evidence and the things that we're, we're purposed to do is as we're walking in our purpose and making a difference, the whole point in making a difference is to lead people to Christ. So the world needs more influence and they need more evidence and they need the body of Christ to rise up and start connecting the dots so that they can say, well, if you're thinking it's this, it's not. But if, it's, if you're thinking it's this, which is what it is, then this is what this is you're on the right path. Problem is, most people, most atheists and agnostics and the young people are thinking it's about religion and rules and traditions, barriers. 
But when you start, they start to see the authenticity of the relationship and of spirit-filled life and someone being, being in relationship with Christ and how it influences and affects their decision-making, no matter how imperfect you are, they see it as, oh, it's that? Well, I want that. I just don't want this. And so our role and responsibility is to remove barriers from the Gen Z, the, ne the millennials, the next generation's mind, the, the generation alpha that's rising up underneath these Gen Zers, to, to remove the barriers so that they can clearly see, oh, Christ is something different than what I thought he was. And in fact, if you're be honest, nobody wants the Christ with all the barriers. We want the all-out authentic relationship with Christ that's, that's completely in, in line with what he's saying, what he's doing, and what he wants to do in our lives. It's about that relationship. That's what we want, and that's what they want. But they need people to model it. Our safe place is over here. But the faith-filled place is over here. So Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He has put eternity into their hearts. So there's no person that doesn't have a desire to meet God. There's no person that doesn't have a desire to meet Christ, know Christ, and be known by Christ and get to intimately know Christ. It's in our hearts before we're created. So it's there. You can't get away from it. But they miss God because they have barriers. And they need people to remove the barriers. And I'll explain, uh, oh, I explain, oh, in fact, you can't even convince me otherwise. Let me show you in uh, Nehemiah 4, 14. It is, Nehemiah had gone back to Jerusalem, and he has been told this story that Jerusalem was still in ruins. The gates were burned and missing, and the walls were, had been burned because whenever they were attacked by the Babylonians and taken into exile, they just destroyed the city. The Babylonians did. And so they're coming out of 70 years of bondage, literally 70 years of slavery to the Babylonians and then the Persians. Persians defeated, defeated the Babylonians. So Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king, he literally gets favor from a pagan leader and resources were provided to him to go back and restore Jerusalem. Now they're amidst this work and, and he's rallied the team, rallied the families in Jerusalem to start to rebuild the walls. And at this point, the walls are about half built. Families all around the city are building and working in front of their homes. And the walls are half built. And he says this, after I looked things over, because now there was murmuring, there was a continuation of murmuring from the enemy saying that they were going to come in, kill, and destroy the families. You ever been doing a good work and all of a sudden there's some murmuring of the enemy whispering in your ear and trying to distract you from doing the good work? And it's in those moments that we decide, what we decide from there is how we begin to walk out the continuation, the furthering our, our walk with Christ, our journey, how our spiritual journey continues on. We're removing barriers. And so he says this, he says, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives. And your homes. And there's a, there, there's a good work that you've begun. There's a good work. When you came to Christ, you began a good work. And somewhere along the way, there's been some discouragement. There's been some letdowns. There's been some confusion. There's been some distractions. And the Lord says, wait a minute. I'll, I'll fight for you. Remember that I'm great. And in fact, I want you to fight for your families. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your houses. Fight 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 this generation wants us to fight for them 
In the same way you wished and desired, you had a longing for a family, your family to fight for you when you were growing up. If you will, will allow yourself to remember the pains and the turmoils that came along with that, this generation wants you to fight for them. And it's evidence, and we now know that because we grew up with that. And so did our parents who grew up with that. And now we're calling it what it is. We, they want us to fight for them. They're not, they're not against it. They would love for us, those of us who, who are love God and are older than, than them, to see them and to say to them, I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. And what I'm doing, I'm fighting for you. And they want to see that although you are going to work and you're fighting the battles there in the workforce, they also want to see that you're coming home, mom and dad, and fighting for them at home. Like I see you going out and you say you're fighting, but when you come home, I need you to fight for me. I need, I need you to make some decisions that show me and make me feel safe in my own home that show me, tell me and prove to me that you're fighting for me. This is the longing of your child. This is the longing of the next generation that is growing up in the body of Christ. This is the longing. This is the longing if you allow the depths of some of your greatest hurts. We're saying the same thing. And with a group of pastors and conversation and concerns uh, began to come up about the next generation and how we can be an influence in their lives. In fact, one of our relational churches, a, pastor, a church we're in relationship with, uh, Pastor Chris Hodges over in Church of the Highlands, he, he took it before his youth, which is about a thousand-ish youth, and he asked them a question, put it on a card, and he says, here, fill in this blank. And it says, I wish my parents knew. And here's some of the responses that he gave us were back. I wish my parents knew. Even though my actions don't always show it, I desperately want to please them. I wish my parents knew how much I love you, even though... I don't want to always say it. I wish my parents knew how much I treasured their advice even when I acted like I could care less. This is the longing that's in their heart that they'll say in the private place, but they're afraid to say to you, or they're too insecure, or they don't know if it's safe to say to you. I wish, I, I wish my parents knew. I wish my dad knew how much I loved holding his hand even when I would act like it embarrassed me in front of my friends. That's for boy and girl, by the way, dads. I wish my parents knew. When they wouldn't let me date a guy when I, and I acted mad, I was really thankful they were fighting for me. You fight through that. You stand firm through that. You protect them. You show them what a godly man or godly woman is, looks like whenever you're protecting your daughter from the wrong influences. You show them. You stand up anyway. Let you lead. Let this not be where well, I fold back so I can give you what you want out of guilt because I'm always going fighting for you. Hmm. Yeah, do I need to repeat that? Because some of you may have, may have missed some of y'all. <laughs> I give them what they want at home because I feel guilty because I'm always going fighting for them. And I don't know how to come home and fight for them. Well, here's the, parents, here's how, here's how they want you to come home and fight for them. They actually want you to say no when their desire is yes. I wish my parents knew instead of threatening to punish me, I need them to do it. <laughs> Amen. And I, can I tell you that 
grown-ups are just, in some ways, big children because here's what God says. Whenever, repent, here, whenever we repent and turn back to the Lord, there's an openness of our heart that creates an intimacy with God. And the same thing every time, whenever I do, I don't have to do it often because I, I set the grounds. But when I have to physically discipline my children, immediately there is this repentance of heart and openness. And they come back with me, come right back to me with open arms and love and we connect. It's the greatest bonding moment and it tells me and it shows them, they're showing me, I really didn't want to do that. I really just don't know what to do. I need your love. And let me just tell you, parents, it, discipline, but, but bond. Make sure that your heart bonds back with them immediately so that the enemy doesn't have room to speak into that. But don't veer away from discipline because you're, you're afraid that you might hurt their feelings. Don't beat them. It doesn't say beat them. And don't emotionally whip them. Because here's what happens. If you don't discipline them well... If you don't discipline them well, then all of a sudden their emotions, they, they become more uh, abusive and erratic and, let me just say, wild emotionally, mentally. Because what they need is that to be brought back into center, spare the rod, spoil the child. And let me tell you, it doesn't stop. Well, I wish my parents knew. When I saw them fight all the time, it really messed me up. And so they don't know if it's real because what they need is a safe place. My, fam my, my kids are, are the first. They'll break up a fight. My wife and I will be in a, a friendly debate that gets them, <laughs> that becomes a little bit escalated in, in, in volume and a little bit sharper in tone. And then all of a sudden, our kids are running in, stop fighting, stop fighting, you stop and you stop. Because what it's doing is messing up their emotions. It's messing up their safe place. It's messing up their sanctuary. They need a place to know that it's going to be healthy and safe, and they understand it. It's not going to be chaotic. They know that they can thrive there. They know that no matter what, they're going to be okay, and they're going to be protected. But they can't have that when mommy and daddy are fighting. doesn't mean that you don't go and have a safe argument, a conversation, and debate in another place. And it doesn't mean, what it does mean is you better fight fair. You can fight, but don't, do, don't be dirty. Don't be manipulative. Don't be controlling. Don't be, that's another whole message, but don't be, don't be unfair. But make sure you don't do it in front of them, and don't, certainly don't do it to manipulate your children. It messes them up. I wish my parents knew their words impact me more than any others. Things they don't remember saying have changed my life. Keep talking, parents. I wish my parents knew I, I wish I could be open with, my, with them about my mistakes. Like they don't even feel like they can be vulnerable and open and tell you because they're afraid of getting shamed and condemned and judged and feel like guilty. It, the problem is they're already hearing that voice. They don't want you to confirm it in them. They see so much value in you and their, their, their lives and your love is so important to them. They don't want it to be messed up. And this is their fear. I wish my parents knew the evils I face every day. Like they don't know what to do with this stuff. It's hard for them. The things that they're experiencing at school or, or even daycare or wherever it is that they go, college, like they're struggling with it, and they just wish you understood. But you may not have time to listen. I wish my parents knew the fear I hide behind, every, uh, behind my rebellion. Sometimes we have to see that the evidence, the fruit, the rebellion, the things that they're doing is just evidence of things that they really want you to find out about. 
And that means I gotta have a little bit more emotional capacity. I have to have a little bit more uh, calendar capacity. I gotta make a little bit of time so that I can actually invest and give enough space so that they can open their heart to me and become vulnerable so that I can then speak into the situation they're struggling with. I wish my parents knew how hard it is to stay pure. They don't want you to avoid the conversation. They don't want you to run from it. Because they'll go get the answer somewhere else. They need you to lean in and teach them and speak about it and coach them. And give them something different than they, what may, they might already be hearing in school. They need to know what their mommy, what their daddy says about this. They need to know. They certainly don't need to learn it from school. So I want to give you a very simple yet powerful message, uh, something you can take home today and you can start to apply even before you leave here. And I know we just got out of 21 days of prayer and it was powerful. Pastor Stephanie saying on Tuesday morning, 730, we're praying right here and you're invited. But I want you to, number one, is begin to pray for the generation. Pray for the next generation. And I know most parents already are or most grandparents are like, oh, yeah, I'm praying for those little hellions. Oh, Lord, Lord change their life. That's not what I'm saying. Or maybe you're here and I don't have kids and so I'm not going to pray for any of this. I'm, I'm, I'm out. Maybe that's your You are a part of the body of Christ. They need you to create a safe place, an atmosphere of love that's seeded, that has a seedbed of prayer and faith and trust that no matter what evils you're going to go out and face, God has a solution. They need those activated. They need to know that you are covering them. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're not their parents or parents or not. Scott, Mr. Scott right over here speaks more life into my son. I need as many people speaking life into my son or daughter. And I encourage that because they need it reaffirmed from someone else to know that, yep, what daddy and mommy talk about, they're right. Dang it. <laughs> Great. I love for them to run into those barriers. But I want to remove all the things that the world is putting in their hearts. So pray for this generation. And I don't mean a generic prayer. I mean pray for them to have a reverence of God. Pray for them to have such an attuned spirit with the Lord that when they, when they start to do something that their friends are doing that they know they shouldn't do, that reverence for God causes them to make a decision. Right now in Kentucky at Asbury College, there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's a revival going on because there's college students that refuse to leave chapel because of the presence of God. And so there's, there's South, people are coming from all over the world right now to Asbury College, and the president's trying to figure out how can I manage this and help keep these kids educated with all the distractions. There's, people are giving their lives to the Lord. There's many miracles taking place, but he attributes it to they came in with a reverence and a passion to, re, to experience the Lord, and this is what they're getting. Let me remind you, these are college students who just left their parents' homes. They're looking for authentic relationship with Christ. They want something real. They want something powerful and impactful, and they're longing for it, but they even more so desire it in our homes. They even more so desire it in our churches. Psalms 34, 11 says this, Come, you children, listen to me. And I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, this is, this is a leader in the kingdom. 
He's saying, come to me, little children, and I will teach you the ways, the fear of the Lord. This is, this is an example for us to set, to begin to teach and exemplify a reverence of the Lord to the next generation in our own lives. Pray for, the, pray for God to bring them godly influences, godly friends and influences. Uh, every day on my way to school, do I take, do I take, take Naomi, my, son, my daughter, and son to school? We start turning the corner. We're running late always, and, and we're, we're whipping around that corner. And I said, all right, she knows about the time, and we're going to start praying. We're praying literally, literally the prayer of Jabez. Lord, I just pray for influence. I pray that you give her patience. I pray that you give her supernatural understanding and wisdom and ability to learn everything that she's going to be learning today. I pray for influence with her friends. I pray for influence with her teachers. I pray, pray that you cover her mind, Lord. And so I pray these things that she meets godly friends and, she, and, she, and influences because I want her to begin to supernaturally start to pick up on this is what godly looks like. This is what ungodly looks like. I want to veer towards the godly. I don't want to veer towards the ungodly. It starts early, and I have to speak it often because I don't want there to be a space where she starts to get, get, get confused because I didn't speak up in prayer. And it's the same. Your church, your, these next generation, needs us all to collaborate in creating a safe environment for them to grow up, grow up in as if a, like it was, they're growing up in a greenhouse. Very safe place, very protected place, very, very, very spiritual, spirit-led place, very faith-filled place. So that whenever they do get transplanted into the world, they know the difference and the reverence of the Lord guides their decisions. And anything that it has to offer that contradicts is going to create an issue, a, 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 a sense of, I don't want to do that. A guidance in their own hearts to help keep them in line with the Lord. And that happens when we all work together to create a safe place. Proverbs 20, I'm sorry, 20, Proverbs 27, oh, did I, did I miss one? Let me go, go back. Uh, pray for them to be surrounded with divine favor. It's the same. Div with divine favor. Lord, I pray that you give influence. I pray that you bless my daughter, bless my, my son. And that when I do that, boy, game face starts to come on. I can see those little eyes start to get a little beady, start to get that backpack on. It's like I'm getting ready to get in the game. She's ready. Getting ready to press that little button for that minivan store to slide. I mean, we're rocking in there. We're, we're coming in hot. And, and all that to, to get to the, 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 the uh, principals there opening or get, getting them out of the door. And he's speaking masterpiece over them. She's not paying any attention to that. And she's going right into the school because she's ready. Because her daddy just prayed over her. Divine favor. Godly friends, influence. I go into my son's class, I stand there at the door, and I watch him for the first 30 seconds to a minute, and I just look around, and I see all the kids, and I'm looking at the demeanor, and I'm watching over the, the teacher, and I'm seeing how are things, and what's the environment look like, and I'm letting them know, daddy's in the house. And there's a man of authority that stands behind him. I'm not going to overlord, but I am going to show him he's got, he's got daddy behind his back. Some of you got to get a revelation that when you walk in a place, you got daddy behind your back. And when you got daddy behind your back, you walk with a lot more joy and peace and patience and, and, and strength and authority and confidence. You walk tall. Both of my kids walk around like this. They do. I'm not kidding. Daddy walks around like that because I got daddy behind my back. And it may not be easy all the time, but boy, I got daddy behind my back. And they need to know they got daddy behind their back. They need to know, say, they need, yeah, so they've had some godly men, godly women behind their back. They need to know that you believe in them, that you're fighting for them, that you see things in them. Uh, Psalms 512 says, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous, 
with favor, you will surround him as a shield. With favor, so whenever the fiery darts and, the, and, and ungodly children start to come around, it starts to protect. I can't keep them from evil in an evil environment, but I can sure cover them with prayer so that they know how to make wise decisions and the works of the Lord can thwart and protect them from the evil that is coming their way. At some point, I got to just trust the Lord. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Boy, get some godly friends to help sharpen one another. Got to have it. I need somebody to have my back. They need somebody to have their back. Number two is prioritize church. Prioritize church. Not, it's not optional. <laughs> what are you doing Sunday? Oh, I don't know. I might go to church. Nope, no. Nope. Uh, what are you doing after church? Is that the question not, was not, are you, what are you doing? Are you going to church or not? It was, what are you doing after church? I know, prioritize church. Like, my kids don't have to ask me if, I'm, if we're going to go to church on Sunday. <laughs> That's maybe part of the conversation. <laughs> Luke 4, 16 says, So he came to Nazareth, this is Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day. Jesus had a custom. He's going to church. Like, as he was brought up, this is what I'm going to do. This is, this, is, this is where it's going to go in my life today. We are like, I don't, well, I'm not Jesus. And you never will be like Jesus until you start to prioritize church either. <laughs> Let me give you some st statistics that are alarming but yet encouraging. So when, when mothers come to church, they get saved. 18% of the time, the rest of the family gets saved. When a child comes to church, gets saved, 22% of the time, parents begin to come to church and then eventually get saved. But when daddy comes to church and gets saved, 94% of the time, the rest of the house gets saved. Oh, yeah. And let me just tell you, this isn't just a towards daddy time or message. Oh, wow. You might want to get up and, and encourage your husband as well. Hey, we need to go to church. I really would like to go to church. Would you take me to church? I'd like to be at church today. This is how we encourage. We win the heart respectfully and kindly. Remember the message from last week. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful, and to let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We all need this. Like, we all need it. I need your encouragement. You need my encouragement. You need one another's encouragement. Our children, the next generation, needs your encouragement. They need to be raised up in a blanket of encouragement. 25, not giving up meeting together. That's how it's done. We come together, we meet. We come together. We prioritize church. You get edified, and so you have edification for your, for your household, for the next generation. As some are in the habit of, of doing, not meeting together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Literally, Paul wrote this to the, or, well, the writer of Hebrews wrote this to the church. They were afraid to meet because uh, Nero was burning Christians uh, for lights as their fire, as his fire for fire, for lights for his party. He's like, don't, no, 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 no. Don't forsake coming together because of that guy. <laughs> we don't have that much adversity. <laughs> Come to church. Be faithful. Here's how you can do it. Attending church, you can be faithful. Getting into a tribe, a small group. 
They need to see evidence that it means something to you, that having a circle of believing friends, godly friends around you is very important and it affects your life. And when they see the authenticity of that, then they too will be guided to have godly friends around them because they see a value in their parents who they honor and they love and they trust so much. And so therefore, they're going to make it a principle for themselves. You're not doing it for short-term gains. It's long-term in this game. It's serving together. Finding the time to serve together. Make an area of ministry where you can come in. Serve together as a family. Or you're serving in different spaces within the church. And you go to lunch and you talk. You have this moment where God has moved. You're over dinner. Your stomach has now been moved. And now you can have open heart-to-heart conversations. How, what happened today when you were serving? Son, daughter? What's going on with you? What did you learn? And then vice versa. And you can start to develop the heart of servanthood by prioritizing church in their lives so that when you get older, they get older, you don't have to worry about what they're going to do. You're going to know you invested godly principles in their lives. Now, all I got to do is pray for them. Number three is this. Participate in the development of the younger generation. And I'm asking each one of you to take it, truly take it before the Lord. Don't check out on me. Truly take it before the Lord. Say, Lord, how can I participate? I don't have kids, Lord. How can I participate in the development of the next generation? Whether it's helping in Thrive Kids, whether it's helping with Thrive Kids hangouts. They're going to play, uh, going bowling today after church. Always need help. Or maybe it's, maybe it's coaching a little league team. Finding a group of kids and just bringing them together and say, hey, I'm going to give them a godly example of what a coach is. Or maybe it's, maybe it's even making time to go to a local school and, and being a, a hall monitor one day a week. Now I'm going I'm to I'm show these kids that there's a, there's a male authority figure in the house or a female that is, a, that is of godly counsel to the ladies who still so desperately need it. Because remember, I wish my parents knew how hard it is to stay pure. Uh, or someone who just cares for the next generation because they understand how hard it is to stay pure. And they don't have kids of their own, but they're going to go invest in the generation by little league coaching, hall monitor, thrive kids, thrive youth, whatever it is. Whatever it is, you're intentionally building relationships with the next generation with the intention of developing them. It's, it's a completely selfless effort. But it's also a very life-giving effort because there's fulfillment when in selfless acts, which is why they're so hard to get to. Whatever it is, Second uh, uh, Timothy three fourteen. We do this. But you must continue in the things which you had learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Listen, this is Paul writing to Timothy, and, and there are things that people have done, been modeled in your life. There's an example that has been set in your life, and there's things that they said that spoke volumes to you, whether good or bad. And at times, hopefully good, they've guided your decision-making whenever you got to a similar moment, and you remembered that relationship. You recalled that moment. You recalled what they said, and it helped shift how you were going to decide, make a decision in that moment. There's people, there's a generation that's rising up that needs your, your relationship development. They need your influence. They need you to speak into the situations of life that they may or they are going through so that whenever they get to that point, they will recall hearing your voice and the relationship equity you gain by investing time in them, and it will guide their decisions towards the Lord. They need it. 
One day, generation, you're going to be wearing Depends. It's going to get messy. And you're going to need somebody to help develop you into your next generation, your, your next season. And it's the very people that are asking you to invest in their lives here and now today. Be a living example to them. And oftentimes I'll mention my dad, and he would, to me, he was a, the best coach I ever know. Baseball, football, I played all my life. And he wasn't just a great coach for me. He grabbed all the little destitute boys he possibly could to fit on a team, and he would go and coach them to make them the best that they could be, no different than he would coach me to make me the best that I could be. He would pay for them out of his own pocket to have training that they needed to be able to do what we needed to do as a team. He invested in them, time and effort. And I'm telling you, these boys weren't just friends. These were my brothers. Black, white, Hispanic, every color, didn't matter. These, they lived with me throughout the summer. We played, we played uh, baseball by day and we played paper cup baseball by night into 3 a.m., 4 a.m. Some nights we just stayed at the baseball field and played until daylight. Like we did life together. And my dad was always right there investing in us, spending time to develop the next generation towards what he knew it could be. And that was for a secular reason. All the more so should we be doing this for spiritual reasons. And that's what being intentional for the next generation even looks like. But to be positive about them. Be positive about them. Oh, yeah, they, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, I don't know what they're going to do. They're just a lost generation. Yeah, because you won't go find them. Be positive about them. How about, how about we start to change the dynamics of what we think and say about this generation? Uh, Romans 4.17 says this, And Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed that God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. They already carry guilt from what they've done, and they're starting to own it as identity. But here's our space. We go, no, I know what you did, but here's who you are. And we start to call out the things that we know about God and about them, and we start to declare it to bridge this gap from where they are right now and where God is speaking life into them. And we start to carry it over and bring it to them until they start to adjust, adjust to what God is saying. And then... We start to bringing about the things that we're not. And I don't know about you, but I did a lot of dumb things when I was young. And a lot of the people that did dumb things when I was young are now older in prison. And a lot of us, the only difference between people in prison and the people right here is you didn't get caught. The only difference between me and my brother is I didn't get caught. I do have a brother in prison. In and out all his life. And so all the more so, there's a generation rising up and their destination is two places. Could be prison or it could be a life-giving kingdom leader. And how we speak into their lives begins to adjust how they think and what they see in life and what they see value. And how we begin to take the time to develop them also speaks volumes into how they're going to make decisions when times get tough. And how they're going to make friends and build friends and how they're going to invest time in those friends. You know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. And most of us have been there without godly people speaking into our lives. 
But that cycle can be broken. And if it's your own kids, start modeling a godly relationship in your home. Start showing them how to pray. Start talking to them about God's word. Start speaking to, the, to them about what God is doing in the family. Help them to see it. Help them to capture it. Set, set little flags and markers for their, so they can identify, oh, this, this is God working. Oh, this is, this is what we do as people of God. Oh, this is, this is how we handle situations as people of God. But they need you to invest time and, and, and communicate with them. They need you to talk with them about the situations of their family. Yesterday I was walking, we're getting ready to go out of town, so I was holding my daughter's hand. She's six, about to be seven. We went out to handle the goat, little baby goat we had about three weeks ago. Handle the goat. Taught her how to catch the goat on her own because daddy's not going to be here. You're going to have to come out. You're going to have to catch her. Gave her a few times. She was catching the goat. Finally, the goat was so friendly coming to her. She's got to know how to do it while daddy's gone. Took her to feed the goats, the other goats. Water all of them. Got to go turn on the water well. Let them get water. And we got to go turn off the, the water that's going to the pond over here. Let's turn that off. And there we are. She's, and she's sitting there saying that she asked, Daddy, why do we have this place? I said, well, you remember the trip we went on as a family? And it was just us, just the four of us. And we, we got away. We went to Montana and Wyoming. And you remember that trip? She goes, yeah, I remember that trip. And I said, when I was about, it was about two, two and a half, three weeks in, and I just kept seeing this place, baby. I said, I said this property's just been here, just paying tax dollars on it. I said, but I just been, kept seeing these houses on this property. And I felt like it was the Lord showing me what he wanted us to do next. And so I got home, and Mommy and Daddy, we started planning it out, and then that's where I've been doing I've been in 21, into a little bit of 22, I, I just, I spent a lot of time building these. She said, why did you do that? I said, because one day, it's going to be yours. Now, she saw me out working. And actually, I missed about a year and a half to two years of my son's life, who just turned four. And they knew where I was gone. They knew I was working. But until then, I, didn't, I realized she didn't know I was fighting for her, for her future. She didn't know it was about my family. And what I've learned, what I had learned was having missed all these years, these years with my son and not really knowing him well and knowing missing her life, I needed to reinvest. And so that's what we've been doing. But now I've got to make opportunity for her to ask questions and him to ask questions and him bring clarity to what, what has been going on. They need to know. I've been fighting for you out there, but I'm also fighting for you right here. Last night, Allie asked, asked, my wife asked her, what, what was her favorite part of the day? Naomi said, today when we played cards, we sat there, took every bit of 30 minutes, played Monster Mash, a little match game, a little Monster Match, and then we played Go Fish. Anybody ever play Go Fish? We sat there and played Go Fish, a highly competitive family, let me tell you. I won. This was, <laughs> this was her favorite part of the day. And then she snuggled up inside of my chest and I cuddled around her and we just went to sleep just like that. Fighting for her. I need her, I need, I need her attention. I need her heart because when it, gets, 
When it gets difficult, I need to know I'm a safe place. She can come and run to me. I need to, I need to show her there's a good example of what, what a man should do and be. So I take her out on a date, father-daughter dance last Saturday night. Let me get the door for you, babe. Let me help you into the car. Let me get the door for you. Let me help you out of the car. And I tell her this is what a man does. I want to set the bar so high. <laughs> she's going to be single till she's 35 or 40. <laughs> but I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as we pray for you. And I really want you to take this before the Lord. Don't dismiss it. Lord, how do you want me to develop this next generation? There's, in June, there's camp coming up. We're taking our pastor, Pastor Zay and, and Brittany, are taking the, the students to Beaver's Bend. Probably need some, some help, some, show, some uh, show, uh, what are they called? Chaperones. Probably need some financial help because there's a lot of these kids that don't have the money to go. Um, we have Motion Student Conference coming up. A lot of the kids don't have the money to go. And let me tell you, it's a spiritual encounter. Probably needs chaperones. Can't help physically? Maybe I can help financially. I can develop. Oh, by the way, there's age group that we're missing. Sixth grade to ninth grade. We don't have space for them. Just talking with my architect this morning. We're getting ready. We're planning out a building that will help provide a place for them to hang out, have fun, to have a service while we're having a service so that they can be spiritually developed as well. Maybe you can be a part of that. Maybe you can help financially. There's ways to develop the next generation. Maybe you can go and coach a team. Maybe you can be a hall monitor. Maybe and these are great and powerful things. Nehemiah 4.15, the, the verse following what I told you earlier, when he said, fight for your families, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your homes. It says this, when our enemies heard that we were, uh, we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all turned to the wall each to our own work. We all started a good work when we came to Christ. And when we start developing the next generation, let me just tell you, that is a frustration to the plans of the enemy on their lives. And when the enemy is frustrated because their plans are frustrated, then we can really get back to continuing this journey, this process, this life, this faith-filled, purpose-filled life that we started in the beginning. They fought with, they had one, a sword in one hand, or a weapon in one hand, and a tool in the other. That's what it's going to take. They need to know you're going out to work, but you're also fighting for them. They need to know you're coming home to work, but you're also fighting for them. So let me pray for you. As you take it before the Lord, say, Lord, how can I be a part of developing this next generation? Let me just tell you, if the Holy Spirit is bringing something to your mind, it's powerful. It's powerful. This thing may seem small to you, but you don't know what a seed can do. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to speak to your children, us, as we find new ways to steward the next generation. Father, I pray for hearts today. I pray for marriages, I pray for families who are struggling with their children. I pray for families and marriages that are struggling because of their children.
Lord, I pray against the lie of the enemy that is keeping people from taking the next step with the next generation because of insecurities in their lives, fears in their lives, and their own personal doubt because of their childhood. Lord, we just pray against those things. We frustrate the plans of the enemy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, let's stand up and worship.